welcome to the STR Data Lab. Welcome everyone to today's uh, episode of the STR Data Lab. Today we have Joe Freeman, CEO and founder of Overmoon. Uh, Joe, thanks for joining the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Yeah, so let's get started. And we were just down at the IMN conference uh, for institutional investors uh, for the short-term rental industry. And the first version was last year. And I, I seem to remember you giving a, a great speech up on stage and at your event afterwards, sort of talking about I, how this is a new emerging asset class and Overmoon is going to be a big part of the sort of institutional movement within short-term rentals. So maybe you can just give us a brief overview of and what Overmoon is and, and why you started it. Great. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, just to kind of summarize what you know, the, the thoughts I shared last time is we really see short-term rentals and vacation rentals kind of having arrived at a moment where it's going to become an institutional asset class within real estate, the same way that office space or multifamily or single family rental homes, you know, are and have been. It's been a long time coming. Um, but we think that, that that moment has kind of arrived for this category. And, uh, you know, our ambition at Overmoon is to be a big part of that story, right? We want to build, you know, one of the first institutional quality owner operator platforms in vacation rentals where, you know, we own the homes, we operate them. And in so doing, we build a true hospitality brand, you know, much like you've seen great hospitality brands, obviously in hotels have been around for a long time. So that's kind of who we are and our ambition. I've been in this category a, a long time. I, you know, I had previous companies before, Lyric, Wheelhouse, others. And so I've gotten a chance to kind of see the industry grow up over the last decade or so. And, you know, when I founded Lyric back in 2014, I was just a single guy living in city, living in, in a city in San Francisco. And most of my travel was business travel. And so not coincidentally, you know, Lyric was focused on urban apartments and multi-business travel. Um, now, fast forward to today with Overmoon, you know, I'm married, I've got two young kids. And so most of our travel, you know, now is family travel, right? And so we're, we're traveling, you know, as a family, renting a house, often with other family members or grandparents, or whatever else. And especially through the pandemic, I kind of get this upfront look at some of the challenges that, uh, that families and groups face when they're renting a vacation home. These homes can be awesome. They can be terrible. They can be everything in between. And, uh, I'm, and you're, so you're smiling. I, I, we, we've all had these experiences, right? And like, that variability creates a lot of risk for a customer and it doesn't have to be that way, right? I think of it a lot like the taxi industry before Uber, where you call a taxi in a lot of cities, you know, you just don't know where you're going to get. And um, the kind of app-based ride sharing industry has helped create a lot of consistency in that market. And uh, I think that's what the vacation rental and short-term rental market needs is more reliability. And we hope to create that. And owning the homes is a big part of that. I think by owning the homes, it gives us enough control where we can deliver what we call a reliably awesome experience every guest, every time. And is that where you see and your business sort of differentiating from traditional property management, where maybe in the past we thought as property managers is creating a brand, but in the end that they can't make the changes to the assets that and maybe creates that consistency. And that's something that you guys are going to be able to control a whole lot more. That's right. Yeah. So I think, I think property managers are in a tough spot, right? Because they can be great, but ultimately it's not their home. They don't control it and they don't have a, a budget to fix it. I'll give an example. So um, one of the homes that we have in, in Destin, Florida, 
you know, beautiful home, seven bedrooms, pool, et cetera. We bought it earlier uh, last year and uh, there's eight bathrooms in this home. And when we took it over, three of the showers did not work. And it was it was managed by a, a, a well-regarded professional uh, management company, you know, that I, I think highly of. We talked to them and they were so frustrated. They're like, we've been trying to get the owner to let us spend the money to fix the three showers that don't work and they won't let us do it. And you can imagine how frustrating it is for the people who come and stay in this home. It's like three showers out of eight not working. That's not that much fun. And so, uh, you know, we bought and we, of course, fixed all these things on day one because as an owner operator, we are responsible for the total end-to-end -end experience, the total product. And so that's just a, a thing that you can do if you own the home that you, you kind of can't do if you're a management company. And so that's a structural difference where we hope to be able to add value for our customers. I'm guessing by owning the properties, this is a much more ca capital intensive endeavor than maybe what you did at Lyric or through other and what other property managers do. And you've got to raise capital, deploy that capital. And I suspect that that means slower growth. So what are you guys seeing in terms of growth overall unit counts? And how's it going so far? Uh, so that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, you, you can imagine, I mean, the homes we're buying are, are typically north of a million dollars. And so it adds up fast. So yes, it's a much more capital intensive strategy. We've got to raise a lot of capital to do that. I would personally much rather have a, you know, relatively smaller portfolio of assets that I can totally stand behind than um, a large portfolio where you kind of don't know. I think the, the, the extreme example of that is the OTAs, right? The OTAs have millions of homes, but they have effectively no control. I mean, they don't even know if these homes exist. And the management companies are kind of in the middle, then we're kind of on the other end where we, we own the homes and so have total control. We, it also means we have to, you know, we have to think about things like what is the yield on these assets? Because our real estate, you know, our, our investors on the real estate side, you know, that's obviously what, something they very much care about. And so uh, last year, you know, we didn't love where the market was at last year. Um, obviously, it was a very hot market. It was hard to buy homes. Homes were very expensive. They were going for over asking. And so we were pretty patient and didn't buy that many homes last year because we expected the market would eventually correct and it, and it did. So ending last year, we, we, had, uh, we had seven homes. And then this year, the market has, has turned, you know, which is an opportunity for us. So you know, we've put three homes under contract in the last five days. So we're, we're going to be scaling rapidly this year into a market that has more opportunity for us. And you know, we'll see where we end up, but we'll you know, probably plan to buy at least 100 homes this year. So you said you guys are owning, managing. So when you think about the entire operations of the, these properties, are you doing everything in-house? In are you guys outsourcing any part of it? So what does this, the operations uh, look like? Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, a lot of lessons learned for me personally over the years, kind of doing it different ways. Um, at Lyric, we had, you know, substantially everything in-house. Uh, here we are relying, you know, we are relying on um, a lot of vendors to help us out, you know, local cleaning and maintenance and, and other things. I really want our focus to be on figuring out how to buy the right homes, you know, the best, the best homes, the right homes, the right price, and building the best guest experience we can, right? That I think is kind of the biggest thing we can, we can add to the industry is creating just a fantastic, again, re a reliably awesome guest experience every time. And so we put a lot of our energy and a lot of our kind of focus of our corporate staff there. And, um, and we try to find, you know, best in class vendors to help us with a lot of the execution. So you, you set a, a key focus on, on yield, finding markets, finding properties. So how are you guys thinking today about the markets that you're in? How did you select those? And how are you thinking maybe tomorrow about the markets you're going to go into? Yeah. So uh, short answer, we use a lot of data. We love you guys. 
Um, we have other data sources as well. But today we're in three markets in Florida. So we're in the Florida Panhandle. So like kind of Destin, 30A area. We're in Orlando. And then we're in Northeast Florida. So like the Jacksonville, St. Augustine, coastal corridor there. We love all those markets. I mean, we wanted to have some regional density. So if a customer comes, stays with us in one market, the other markets we have are also proximate. So they could stay with us somewhere else. And we wanted markets both where we think we could achieve uh, attractive yields uh, and also markets that were deep enough that we can get to scale. You know, you, you get a lot of economies of scale when you have more homes in one market. So we didn't want to have like one home in each of 10 different markets. We think that'd be pretty inefficient. And so uh, finding markets where we can go deep and and, uh, and and kind of grow there locally was important to us. And also we can be a real member of the community. So is it, I mean, you said, and at the start that with Lyric, you're primary, primarily sort of urban corporate markets. I mean, do, you, do you think the, the sole focus for Overmoon is going to be on sort of leisure destination markets? For now, yeah. I um, There are so many leisure markets that we can explore that I think have a ton of demand. And, and I think we could add a lot of value that, uh, you know, we're going to focus there for for a while. Could the strategy evolve over time? Perhaps. But, um, you know, I think we have we have years of runway ahead of us where we have a lot of leisure markets we can go after. So I, I assume you guys are looking at, at lots of properties and in, in, in markets that you're looking to go into, both new and existing. So when you're looking to narrow down that list of properties, what are you using to filter that list down? Um, you'll laugh. We actually don't filter the list down. We underwrite every single home. So we, we've, we've invested a lot of time, energy, and money um, in building a technology platform and a set of systems and a team where in a market that we're looking at, we underwrite every home. Most of those homes we're not going to buy. We, we do have a buy box. If we get a general kind of like price point and size of homes we like, but just to make sure we don't miss anything, um, we'll underwrite every single home that hits the market. If a home meets a certain criteria, and it's all automated, right? If a home meets certain criteria in terms of yield and other characteristics, then it'll go over to our real estate team who will use our platform to do a, a you know, a manual check on the underwriting and, and look at specific comps and all these things to make sure we like it before we make an offer. But we've been able to build a system where we can underwrite literally 100% of the homes in the market we care about. Do you suspect that that's going to give you guys the key advantage like going forward of that you're going to find deals that others are passing on or are you going to be able to pay more for them given that you're doing a deeper dive into the underwriting? What What's going to give you guys the advantage to sort of grow at the pace that you guys want to? I don't think it's any one thing. I think it's a combination of things. So yes, seeing every deal, that's an, that, that helps, obviously. We, in addition from getting data from you guys, we have a number of other data sets that we have kind of combined and cross-referenced. We've, we've done a, a lot of work to clean and enhance that data and then build algorithms on top that allow us to forecast the revenue uh, with precision in advance of making an offer. And that's, that's, tech, that's a level of technology and data science that... Um, you know, I don't want to say no one else could do it, but certainly it would require a, a well-resourced professional organization to do it. You know, g given the work I've been able to do in the past with Wheelhouse and Lyric, I've, you know, seen a lot of these kind of things before. And so, um, and we blessed to have a fantastic team. And so uh, I think I think we can forecast revenue better than average. Um, that certainly helps. And I think the other thing is ultimately we're in the hospitality business. And so if we can deliver a great product and make customers happy every single time, they will come back, they will tell their friends, and that will ultimately lead to more occupancy and more revenue over the course of the year. So that, that I think is the ultimate defensibility is if you do a great job offering a great hospitality experience, 
then you'll be able to squeeze more dollars out of a given asset than the market average. Um, and so I think all those things combined help us, you know, both pick the right homes and kind of, you know, make them yield as, as, as well as they can. Yeah. So can you give us a sense of what you're seeing make the most sense? Like, is it, I know during the pandemic over the past couple of years, it'd been sort of the larger home, the better the opportunity. And obviously destination markets were doing really well, but we saw the yields sort of collapse as housing prices just went crazy in these markets because in addition to travelers and people wanted to move to these markets given their sort of newfound flexibility. So are there any sort of trends you're seeing in the, the types of homes, the types of markets that are sort of making the most sense to invest in today? Yeah. I mean, just like, I don't know, the stock market, right? There's there's not like one thing that is like the best. It's a question of what what game do you want to play, right? So even at the IMN conference where I saw you earlier this week, you know, I talked to some teams that are doing really well in certain urban markets. Um, I talked to a team that is doing really well in kind of low cost, non-traditional vacation markets in places like Alabama and Georgia. And, and then you've got us, you know, we, we kind of skew um, a bit larger homes, kind of four to eight bedrooms in traditional vacation uh, markets in Florida. So I think there's a lot of ways to win. It's a question of what game you want to play. For us, like our focus is on, you know, families and groups uh, in that kind of middle, upper middle income segment, right? And so for us, that has meant going to historic vacation rental markets that have a lot of demand, homes that skew a little bit larger, kind of four to eight bedrooms. And just because of our, our yield targets, we tend to not be like the beachfront home. We're like the home a couple blocks back from the beach. We find we've, we've, we've earned better yields there. Um, you see a lot more competition to buy the beachfront home from, from people who want it, which want, to, want it for themselves. And so you, 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 tend to see, you tend to see lower yields there. As far as the market, we've definitely seen the market change from last year. And even it's accelerated, even from like Q3 to Q4, we've seen over 100 basis points of yield expansion in the markets we're underwriting. Right, that that's meaningful. I mean, you know, you don't often see a, a move that big ac across a whole market. Now, granted, it was off of a low base, right? Because prices had run up to the point where it was starting to get tough to underwrite some of these homes. We do expect we do expect things to even get better over the course of this year, um, with the Fed, you know, potentially raising rates one or two more times, having a corresponding increasing drop in home prices, and so you know that's why we're going to you know, plan to expand quite a bit this year. We think there'll be a lot of opportunities to lock in homes at, at a great basis. Yeah, so when you're thinking about that investment decision, like you've got the appreciation of the asset and you have the income potential of the asset. And it sounds like I'm those sort of rising home value and I'm guess assuming the a lower expected home appreciation or even expectation of housing price decline sort of caused you guys, caused you to pull back. But as you're thinking about new investments, how much do you sort of assign to and the cash flow of that investment or the asset value appreciation sort of over over your your hold period. So we're we're long-term holders. And so, you know, we really focus more on the cash flow. The A, the cash flow is dramatically easier to to underwrite and measure because you know you can see kind of in real time what the demand for these assets are. And you know, part of our overall strategy is like we're in Florida, we're gonna be expanding to other markets across the Southeast. I think over the next decade, that's just going to be a good trade and kind of, you know, a lot of homes you could buy across the Southeast or even other kinds of real estate assets. I think all of them are going to go up. The precise amount they're going to go up, that's a little more difficult to forecast. So for us, the, 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 the cash flow, the yield is really where we focus, right? If we can buy a home and it's going to cash flow well, and we can hold it long term, 
uh, we believe will also do well on any kind of exit or recap in the future. But uh, we, we wouldn't buy a home that wouldn't cash flow in the hope of, uh, of appreciation. Yes. And so what's been the biggest attribution to the increase in yield? Is it in revenues or is it in falling acquisition costs? It's the cost. It's the lo- lower prices. We are seeing, it's interesting um, for on the revenue side, I, kn- I know you guys forecast is that it'll be kind of flat to slightly negative over the course of the year. What we're seeing in our markets, at least, you know, relative to last year, we're seeing pretty significantly higher ADR, in some cases like 15 to 25% higher, which is you know, quite a bit. We are seeing occupancy lag a little bit, but I, my guess is those things will kind of converge as we get deeper into the year. And you know, ADR will kind of come down a little bit, occupancy would go up a little bit, but uh, we're seeing robust demand. You know, we saw robust demand last year, both high season and kind of through the end of the year. We're seeing robust demand this year. We're not as focused on whether the demand comes in the form of ADR or occupancy. Ultimately, it all converges to the same thing. But the biggest difference has been you can buy the house cheaper and earn a similar amount of revenue off of it. Yeah. So you you talked about maybe what what you're seeing in, in the first half of the year that there's sort of broad consensus and who knows if it's going to come true, but and that there may be a recession in the in the back half of 2023. And so does that play into your calculus at all in terms of and what revenues might be. And if we do see a recession, how do you see that and impacting our business, impacting your business? It's an excellent question. Um, certainly, there's been a lot of conjecture about it. I think it's going to be very specific to the segment, right? So, you know, that's part of the reason we, we don't buy luxury homes. Like, we're not buying the $5 million beachfront homes. I think in a recession, that kind of stuff is, is going to be impacted. The homes we offer, I mean, you know, in Orlando, you can get from us an eight bedroom home that's highly amenitized with, you know, game rooms and pool and hot tub. And for most of the year, it's like $500 a night. I mean, you can put a lot of people in eight bedroom homes that you get some, some pretty deep value from us in these homes. And, and even in other markets, maybe it's slightly higher, but, but either way, our homes are going to be dramatically cheaper than for that group going kind of almost anywhere else, certainly cheaper than hotels or, or cheaper than traveling internationally. And so for us, we look at a recession and, and I don't know about you, I'm not canceling my family vacation, right? And I don't think most people are. And we've seen that in the data in past recessions is that people still want to travel. They still want to take those special trips with their friends and family and people who they love. I think they will seek more value-oriented options, right? So I think you'll see more drive-to versus fly-to markets. And I think families and friends kind of grouping up to rent larger homes is going to become more of a trend. And so part of why we've oriented ourselves in the way we have is we think both the markets we're in, the drive-to markets we're in, as well as these kind of larger format homes that provide a lot of value on a per head basis will be really attractive if we are in a recession. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. So Joe, we were just at a conference together, the IMN Investment Conference, and a panelist up on stage, what I won't mention, said that his luxury properties, in his opinion, were recession-proof. So I've generally seen the opposite when looking at sort of luxury travel trends, a lot of it's aspirational and in many ways has been some of the most volatile. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's our view. And even if you look at like the job market, right? The overall job market remains strong. Where have the layoffs been? They've been at the high end, right? It's been Google and Goldman Sachs and Facebook and a lot of these high wage earners have been the ones getting laid off, but the overall uh, unemployment rate remains historically low. So I, I agree. I think that like the people at the top end 
are going to, and I'm not talking about like the Elon Musk's of the world. I mean, that's recession proof. Fine, but there aren't that many of those travelers. But I, I think the luxury market can be very volatile and those people will still travel. They just aren't going to spend, you know, as much as they would have. They're going to seek more value. Joe, you, you said you guys have seven properties now. So how have those properties sort of met your expectations over this past year? So we started buying actually in Q1 of 22, so about a year ago. Um, so about seven last year. We've got 300 contract right now. Uh, and yes, we actually, we, we beat our numbers last year. We hit 104% of our revenue target, which I think is actually kind of perfect, right? If, we, if we'd hit like 120% of revenue target, that would have just told me that our underwriting is actually not that good. 104, I'm like, okay, so our, our numbers were basically dead on. We beat them a little bit. We're very happy about that. And uh, we're seeing continued strong performance, you know, into the into the new year. As you think about competition, so who do you see as your your main competition, either on the guest side or on the competition for for capital investment? It's a good question. There, there certainly are different facets of the business. I'd say, from a guest perspective, I think our competition is is largely uh, mom and pop vacation homes. If you look at the homes out there that are, you know really highly rated and providing a, a really consistently high quality experience, uh, they're often uh, the small owner operator who owns, you know, one or maybe two or three, four homes. And so that that feels more like our competition. I don't think of it as hotels, because again, if you're going to rent a seven bedroom house from us, you're not probably cross shopping with a hotel. And there are both local and larger property management companies out there in vacation homes. We tend to see them be lower reviewed. And I think you've written about this too, is that these the larger PMs, you know, their their review scores is more like a four, five, four, six. We're at a four nine. We actually had a five month stretch last year where we had all five star and we got one four star for a silly reason. But uh, like someone parked in like the neighbor's parking lot, parking um, space and got towed and, you know, can't do much about that. But but um, yeah, we, we, we would see our competition mostly as as. Um, you know the 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 strong performing individual owner operator on the on the guest side. Frankly, it's a big market, right? So uh, we're happy to be in that kind of you know top ten percent um, of 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 product in a market category. And there's plenty more demand than there is supply um, for for top homes there. On the capital side, I mean, you know, capital can be anywhere. So with with real estate, I mean, our competition is other you know other forms of real estate investment, right? Whether people are going to invest in multifamily or self-storage or things like that. I mean, no one's doing office space anymore. And SFR has has taken a hit as well. So there's a lot of real estate capital out there that's that's looking for, you know, a higher, higher yielding asset class. Um, a lot of folks are looking at SFR. There's not, um, I'm sorry, at, at, at STR and vacation rentals. There's not a lot of folks yet in this category who are really providing an institutional quality product for investors. And so we've had a really good reception for that for that reason. I get it how it's maybe easy to maintain a, a four nine average and when you just have seven properties. What are you doing now to sort of make sure you can maintain that as you scale? Yeah, we, we've we've got a lot of process in place to make sure that we are kind of inspecting and maintaining the homes really well. That's one thing I think that often happens is the home looks great on day one and then it kind of degrades and isn't maintained to a high standard. So we do a lot for that. And then we're, we're investing, continue to invest a lot in the guest experience, right? So everything from our touch points with the guests, all the different kind of uh, services we can offer them and different things we can do to kind of stand out and really make sure they have a, a, a fantastic experience. Because ultimately, like, we're not in the housing or business, or I don't even think of us as the lodging business. We're selling experiences. We're selling memories. 
And so I think the ultimate thing that us or anyone can do in this category to stand out is, is really have the customer always at the front of their mind and thinking about how can we make this trip for this customer fantastic? Because for us, you know, we just see bookings come in, but for each customer, it's a special trip and they want to have a good memory coming out of it. <laughs> That's great. Joe, can you now pull out your crystal ball and give me any major predictions for 2023? It's a good question. I mean, I think, I think the macro trends that have been in place over the last few years of consumer demand continuing to shift from hotels to vacation rentals, I think that will continue. I think that, um, and this was talked about even at this conference this week, I think this will be the year you'll start to see institutional capital start to come into this category in a big way. There's been a lot of like tire kicking over the last year or two, but not a lot of people have really made moves. And I, I think that's going to start to change this year. And I think you will start to see a segmentation in the category of, you know, folks, you know, that have kind of our same philosophy of really going all in and providing a fantastic guest experience every time versus just providing fee management as a service. And I think you'll start to see that segment where it'll be pretty obvious, both in the market and to, to customers, are you going, are you staying with a top tier player that has the focus and control to make sure that home is going to be awesome and that experience is going to be awesome? Or is this just another management company that has a lot of homes, but doesn't really have the ability to deliver that experience? I think you'll see that segment. So in the hotel industry, brands really moved away from owner operating to be able to scale. Do you expect that Overmoon will offer property management or do you plan on always owning your properties? Let me tell you a story and answer the question. Actually, I'll answer the question first. Um, we don't expect to ever work with individual homeowners on the ownership side. I think that there is just too much work and too much, too much complexity. I think that's a lot of what has kind of held the management side of the business back is because, you know, when you have to manage across hundreds of owners, each with their own, you know, baggage, uh, I think it becomes very difficult to deliver a high quality experience to the guests. In the hotel market, it was a different dynamic because the hotel owners are themselves institutional, right? So, you know, it might be a pension fund or a sovereign wealth fund or someone like that that owns the asset, but it's still a professional organization that's focused on maximizing performance and, and all those things. That's not the case with second homeowners and vacation markets. And so if this industry evolves to the point where you've got a lot of third-party institutional owners that own a lot of vacation homes that are looking to someone like us to come and, and manage them under a brand, that I can imagine us doing. The industry isn't there yet. So we'll just have to kind of see how it evolves. All right. So if we came back a year from now, what do you think would be the big headlines for either you or Overmoon? Um, you know, a year from now, I, I just, uh, I would say we would expect to continue to grow. We'd be, in, we'd be having a, a much larger portfolio, uh, announcing growth plans, even kind of far beyond that. Um, I would hope that our, our innovation and the customer experience is being acknowledged and that both customers and market participants are, are, are seeing that what we're offering is something that is different than what else is out there. You know, again, looking back to kind of the metaphor of, of you know, taxis versus Uber and Lyft, you would never call Uber or Lyft a great taxi service with an app, right? It's a fundamentally different product and different experience from what existed before, and you use a different word to refer to it. And so, you know, I think that we have that opportunity in this industry to differentiate and offer an experience that is so far beyond what has been done before that people don't even lump us in 
with with some of the legacy um, of, of of how the industry has worked. And so, will we accomplish that in a year? It'd probably take us longer than that, but I hope we be on that path and starting to kind of get acknowledgement for the work we're doing to to help customers have great experiences. Uh, this has been great. Uh, if any of our listeners want to connect with you, how should they reach out? Uh, they can come to our website, overmoon.com. That was uh, Joe Freeman, CEO and founder of Overmoon, a growing institutional ownership group for short-term rental investment. Joe, thanks so much for joining us and good luck over the year ahead. Thank you so much.